Hello and welcome back to Let's Grow Girls, the Cut Flower podcast. So this week we've got something a little bit different for you. We normally talk flowers, 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 but to get great flowers, flowers, or food for that matter, from your patches, it all has to start from somewhere, right? The ground. So we've had like more than I thought we would have had um, requests for compost and how to be a good composter. So you know what, what we're like, we have to do what you ask us. So mm-hmm. we have got a special guest for you today, a compost queen, Kate. Kate the compost queen. Um, <laughs> compostable Kate on Instagram. You're also known as the Pikachu master and <laughs> a worm lover, apparently. <laughs> Welcome, Kate. Hi. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Sarah. It's so nice. What an intro here. that was, right? <laughs> I, I should say I'm the self-appointed compost queen. You know, I, I, okay. I, oh yeah. no, 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 no. Uh, we, we are bequeathing that title officially to you. We'll get you a little tiara. I think you guys coming from the UK, you can officially give me that title. Yeah. <laughs> With our yes, monarchy, we, we, we'll, we'll take on that ability for sure. Yes, please do. And. Uh, Thank you so much for accommodating this weird time difference. Uh, oh, I know. I was, for, I was saying for, to Sarah for list- that I, just, I had to whip my boob out of my daughter's mouth to get on here, but that's all right. But we appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> we really appreciate that because it's like the crack of dawn for us. Well, not quite. Well, it is for me on a Saturday um, at half nine here, and it's about half eight for you, isn't it? So um, thanks for working that out for me. T- time zones, maths, etc. not my special skill, so... <laughs> no, this, well, this is this is my productive hours. It's not, not not productive in the garden, but it's when I get stuff done once my three kids are in bed. So it's yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. And um, I, I referenced the time difference, but I didn't. I don't think I actually said where you were. You're in um, New South Wales in Australia. Yes. Um, which is Sydney's in New South Wales, isn't it? It is. Yes. But yes. we. So I used to be a Sydney cider, and we. Mm-hmm. Um, lived in the inner west of Sydney so that's near where the harbour bridge is um Mm -hmm. and lived in a tiny little um terrace house with a tiny courtyard apartment with three kids jammed in and then during COVID we have moved six hours down south so we live on the south coast of New South Wales the far south coast of New South Wales um in a rural area called Bega the Bega Valley um and now have a big house that we're renting still um with a really big garden and for the first time ever in my adult life I'm growing stuff in the ground not in pots so it's been <sighs> a huge change but yeah and amazing having the space I went from having one or two or two mm. two big compost bins to now having basically a backyard full of my all of my mad composting experiments and yeah <laughs> Having the space, space is just, yeah, it's amazing. But such a big lifestyle shift for us. But exciting to have, like you say, I have all that new space to play with now. Yeah, 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 absolutely. All of the access so, to the ground. Oh, wow. And just, I, I am like mesmerised by all the different types of compost you're doing. So we'll, 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 we'll carry on to go on to some of those things. But before we talk about like how to compost. Yes. I find it super overwhelming to know what to do. And I think it would be good to start with a why, like why yes. should you compost? Why is yes. it important? Yes. Look, I think for anyone that is interested in growing anything, so whether it's food for your own family or cut flowers for your table, thinking about the health of your soil is the first 
think mm-hmm. and people gardeners you know this is not new concepts gardeners do think about soil you know we think about feeding our soil but then when you think about the the big confluence of massive conglomerations and mm-hmm. um the way that the gardening industry has really been industrialized and commercialized um and the lack of transparency with a lot of products that we now get uh issues in the UK and, and, and in Australia, it, worldwide, you know, there's you can buy compost for your garden that then contaminates it. And that's something that there was a big outbreak of, um, of widespread commercial compost contamination in Australia. And, you know, it's for me as a gardener and a massive um, compost, home composting advocate, it's just devastating seeing that. So I think giving pe- giving gardeners a bit of confidence to know that, actually a really simple formula to make great compost Mm -hmm. um is a really empowering thing because you know being um being able to do stuff in your own backyard and you know we we produce all of this waste being able to responsibly manage it so yeah for me it starts about the main tenets of making good compost is um using what you have Mm -hmm. and and being being more self-reliant, you know, thinking I can feed my soil myself and then I can feed myself with the plants that I grow. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, soil health, I think, is is key. Well, you say it's simple, but it's like a dark art. You make it sound, you're like, <laughs> yeah, it's so simple. You just feed the soil, then you feed yourself. And then the rest of us try it. During this this chat, I will I will make okay. sure, Sarah. It's no like longer a dark art. You feel, you feel confident mm-hmm. because it really is. So when, when I'm not making compost and when I'm not having babies, I'm a high school food tech teacher. And if you think of it like a recipe, which, which it really is, it's, oh. you'll have success. Um, mm-hmm. And I can dive straight into to the recipe now, if you think that's Yeah, that's let's a, go for it. Let's um, like your Instagram has got so much information on it, but like I kind of wanted to just drill down into like yes. what are the top things here. Totally. Um, because like I did a lot of research and I have stalked your Instagram <laughs> and I feel like I know more, but yes. like let's, let's go with the recipe. Let's, let's yes. go straight in. Yeah, totally. Dive into and I, the brown stuff. So I think that when people first start making compost, they feel like it's, they just, they load so many people and so many people have problems because they just load up their compost bin or their compost bar, pile with food waste and green garden matter. So they pull out weeds mm-hmm. and they empty their kitchen caddies into it. And all of that is nitrogen. And if you just do that, you'll end up with a slimy, stinky anaerobic, so that means oxygen-free mess, which actually right. is not particularly um, nutritional for your plants. So the the four main ingredients, if we're talking about a compost recipe, are nitrogen, so all of that green, juicy stuff, mm-hmm. carbon, so that's dry dead matter so it can be brown fallen leaves can be straw it can even be human made carbon so it could be ripped up cardboard boxes newspaper i was afraid i was gonna say then yeah i was a bit concerned there that you were gonna go (laughs) into something else that's brown (laughs) (laughs) it's a human made matter and we were we were bracing ourselves We can talk about human humanure, so that might be a, a different conversation. No, so, so still talking about just the, the dead material, nothing juicy or smelly here. So brown <laughs> cardboard boxes, you two. Get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> um, and then you also can't forget about oxygen, so that's mm-hmm. aerating your pile and right. water. 
Um, so all of the compost microbes need water, just like us, they need water and oxygen and their food or energy sources to survive. Um, but the, the, the thing that I really, so I've, my Instagram is um, made to be an education platform because I am a sustainability educator and that's, you know, I'm trying, trying to make this as simple as possible because people do feel overwhelmed because they make one pile of stinking, disgusting compost, uh, sorry, mm. cockroach-ridden compost and they're like, yeah, no, I can't do it. I'm just going to buy it bagged in plastic, you know, so much mm-hmm. easier. And that really is often because they just chuck food waste in and don't do anything else. But mm. if you chuck in one bucket of food waste, then you do always need to add in at least two buckets of carbon, so two buckets of brown leaves right. or two buckets of ripped-up newspaper, um, water and a turn every now and again. And if you do that, you will make really good compost. Um, you can make – so. As you, you mentioned this, Nicole, there's lots of different forms of compost that you can do. Um, but the basic principle, starting with cold compost, that's, you know, that's a really great way to start. Um, and it is just those four ingredients and a little bit of extra TLC. <laughs> <laughs> so what what do you put the compost in? So here in the UK, yes. a lot of people who have compost, they build them out of like wooden pallets and chicken wire and they have this huge enormous thing and if i'm honest i've got one of those at my allotment and i'm terrified of it yes it it looks i it's interesting i have come from a really urban part of sydney and we i was never in the position to have an open bay system like that uh now living moving to the country i can but i still don't have that and the reason why i don't have that is i want to make compost quickly and I want to manage the variability so in an open compost pile like that which lots of people in the UK have lots of people in Australia have you end up um, having to either micromanage it really closely because it dries out or it gets too wet so if there's a heavy downpour it's all going to get saturated and it'll become anaerobic so oxygen free really quickly or if you go through a heat wave it's going to dry out really quickly and then all Mm. of the microbial life is going to die so personally i don't like advocating things in plastic but i do find making compost bins sorry making your compost in compost bins that are open to the ground but Mm. enclosed with a lid is much easier to create successful compost because your mm. um, the compost doesn't dry out as quickly, you can keep pests out, and you can just manage it. it, it it's 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 in my experience, it's more simple. Unless you're dealing with you know you've got an allotment and you're at the end of a season, you've pulled out a whole heap of um, spent plants that you're wanting to compost, and you know you might fill that too quickly. But you can always create secondary piles in those open compost systems as well. Uh, but when you're processing things like food waste. Um, if you're living somewhere where rodents are an issue, enclosing it, putting rodent mesh on the bottom makes your life a breeze. It just means it's not this revolting, stressful thing that intimidates you. Like, like Yeah, you I had a situation about two years ago where I actually, I don't know whether I should admit this to you, I got rid of my compost heap at my yes. first allotment because I went to go and kind of move stuff around in it, lifted the top up and found a rat mum and a rat babies yes. and I left yes. them there oh. to do their rat 
thing. Um, and then the, then the then the compost heap went because I I couldn't deal with rats. Yes. Um. No. So. And that's you're, you're not alone a, in that experience, Nicole. Oh <laughs> my goodness! I, my my husband was like, "Oh my god, there's a rat!" And I was like, "I just." I, I mean, they were kind of cute, but like I said, <laughs> rats, you know, no, b- the big and, ones. And compost bins do do are a perfect place for a rat habitat because you know you've got the warmth that's created by the compost microbes, and you've got a constant food source, and there's also mm. protection. You know, they can hide within it. Um, mm. So I think people that have had an open compost system, you know, in DIY pallet open bays, um, and have haven't had much success with it in closing it. So I know in the UK people are really into hot bins, um, mm-hmm. which I think look they're, they're, there's nothing wrong with them. But you don't you don't need to get something that fancy. You know, it can literally mm-hmm. just be. I, I use 400 litre bins. I find them a really great size, and for any allotment um, holders, I think that's a useful size because a two 20 litre bin. <laughs> Um, or smaller you'll fill really quickly but a 400 litre bin you've got more room to move you can put bigger Mm -hmm. amounts of plant prunings and organic matter in there Um, but you can keep those rats out which makes composting far less scary and revolting (laughs) (laughs) so you said that you kind of start with the um do is there a I guess what I'm going to ask now is like, is there a layering that needs to happen? Should we be starting with something and yes. then following it with the next thing? Yes. Look, the answer to that is yes and no. And so <laughs> I promise there's no dark arts with this. Let me explain it. So the way that I always start, and this is the same principle for a comp open compost system, open compost bays or enclosed bins, you always mm-hmm. want to start them off with an airy bed of carbon that's made from structural sources of carbon that won't break down too quickly and softer mm-hmm. sources of carbon that trap air. Um, because the whole pro, so all of this form of compost is aerobic. We're wanting to have as much oxygen in it as possible. And starting mm-hmm. the bottom layer of compost bins with carbon allows mm-hmm. air to be trapped in the pile. So I really like using wood chips as my structural source of carbon because you can use them over and over again um, because they won't break down. They will break down eventually, but you'll be able to make several piles of compost on top of them before they break down and they trap air really well. So I start my compost bins with uh, wood chips and then I get, uh, depending on what the season is and what I've got available, I might use brown fallen leaves or I might use spent hay um, and put that on top and then I might use some human sources of carbon, <laughs> so some ripped up cardboard. <laughs> so quite a few different layers of brown for that. Um, in composting terms, we talk about carbon being the browns and nitrogen being the green. So we start with brown. And then on top of that, you're wanting to go green. And that can be plant matter, food matter, seaweed. Um, and then you do want to go brown on top. But something that people... Um, often get trapped with is if you do do that, make like a lasagna in your compost bin or your compost base, so browns, greens, browns, greens, and you don't turn it, then within the green layer, you're going to create um, anaerobic stinky conditions. So if one of your layers, let's say you it's summer and you've done a whole heap of uh, mowing and you pile in a whole uh, a huge amount of grass clippings and then you put carbon on top of that and you don't mix the layers between them, that 
green layer of grass clippings is going to turn into green anaerobic sludge really quickly and it will stink. So you do want to feed your bin browns and greens in layers, but then you need to turn the layers together um, because the mm. compost microbes need the browns and the greens in unison. They need to have, the, and they they need to be touching because otherwise they will end up, the greens will end up stinking. And if, if the browns don't have contact with the greens, the browns will take ages to break down. So it's, so once again, think of it like a cake, you're putting everything in, but then you do need to mix that cake really well to create the mm-hmm. great finished product. Does that make sense? Hmm. Absolutely. And do you, how often are you doing this mixing? And I've seen this contraption you have <laughs> for mixing. <laughs> Which, so uh, I, it's, mixing is, is a part of um, my compost therapy. <laughs> I love, <laughs> I've got a compost aerator and it's, totally satisfying to use it was 25 australian dollars so they're not expensive uh but it looks like a giant corkscrew so yeah i have um, seen that Mm -hmm. yes and they're really useful if you're making compost in a bin they're not as useful Mm -hmm. if you're making compost in an open bay Um, so if you are wanting to do mixing in an open bay use a garden fork to do that and move the compost, move the organic matter between the bays. So people that have a three bay setup, when you're thinking about turning your compost, you should be turning from one bay to the to the next adjacent bay, and then your third bay should be where your comp, your previous compost is curing. So it's sort of moving along the line. Um, but the way because I make my compost in these big um, barrels effectively I use a compost aerator and when I set up my bin so we haven't started talking about hot compost yet which is one of my absolute passions Mm. um but even so hot and cold compost whenever I personally recommend when you add in your greens and you add in your browns to aerate to mix them through so you will be drawing up organic matter lower down in your bin that has already started breaking up back through matter that you've just added in but all of that helps the decomposition of all of the matter mm. even though you're thinking oh but I'm getting down to stuff that kind of already is compost uh, the more you mix the quicker you'll end up with compost uh, but when you when you need to leave your compost to cure you should have a bit of a hands-off process because at that point you're wanting fungi to start developing in your bins which is hugely beneficial to soil that has been depleted of, um, of nutrients so the more mm-hmm. fungi-rich material you can put back into the soil, the better. And if you mix your compost too much at that point, you won't have fungi developing. Okay. Yes, so when, got it? Like, I think so. Yeah. Well, ask so, me questions because it is it's kind of technical, <laughs> but it also is simple, I promise. <laughs> so the cure, the curing, is that mm-hmm. like when the bin's full? So, the, yes. So, well, no, it's not actually. So, um let's just stay with talking about cold compost. So you're slowly mm-hmm. filling your bins your and your base. You're adding in organic matter every couple mm-hmm. of days or if you're an allotment, maybe you're just add, adding organic matter once a week. Uh, at a certain point, you will reach capacity. So you'll think, oh, I can't mm-hmm. add any more to this. And then you'll leave your compost to start breaking down. And if it was hot compost, um, that would be the once, once you've got that critical capacity, then mm-hmm. your compost should get to 60 degrees Celsius uh, and, it, and it will really start cooking for several weeks. Once that active microbial stage has finished and um, 
your your organic matter no longer looks like what it was. So it doesn't look like leaves. It doesn't look like food. It doesn't look like cardboard. It's looking like soil. Lots of gardeners, when they first make compost, they think, oh, it looks like soil now. I can use this on my plants. But actually, it's really essential to leave mm-hmm. your compost to cure. And if you don't do this, your compost will be too strong and uh, won't – it will be too rich for for your soil. You need to let it settle. You need to let all of those composting worms migrate into it. Um, There's really essential processes that happen in the curing phase that means you'll go from a product that won't be great for your soil to something that will be absolutely perfect. Um, And so that happens. The curing phase, really, you can leave compost for a, a an extended period of time I like to leave my compost for at least two months so it looks like soil it looks like it's something that I should be using on my plants but I don't use it because I know how much better it will be if I leave it to lay low get fungi rich get full of worms um and then then I use it at that point on my garden what's the like rough timeline from like your wood chips to your yes well, wood chips, so the, the, the first layer of your compost, Sarah, mm-hmm. that, that I've added in with both hot and cold composting, those wood chips are going to last for at least a year. So you're going to mm. harvest all of your finished compost off the top of that. Off the top. Um, mm. You can add finer grains of wood chips as a source of carbon into your mm. compost and they will break down more quickly, especially if you're hot composting. But in terms of that that first layer that they're gonna they're gonna hang around for a long mm-hmm. time. When you're if you're filling a bin, so if you're doing cold compost, so your net your compost is not heating up, it's always staying the ambient outdoor temperature, it will take um it, it can take up to a year to be totally finished. If you're hot composting, it can be two months, three months ideally, because you need to be leaving time mm-hmm. to cure. Um, so it's quite distinct hot compost really is fast but it doesn't mean it's better because cold compost you have to be patient but actually there's hot, there's more nutrients in cold compost in mm. in hot compost you end up the heat actually ends up um a lot of the nutrients get get cooked off uh mm. so you know gardeners when they start composting they get obsessed with the heat and i have so many people message me on mm. instagram saying my compost only got to 40 and i said 40 is really good because that what 40 degrees celsius means you've got mesophilic microbes active in your compost bin so it's the compost microbes reproducing that create mm. the heat um and there's there's a number of different micro, microbial groups that work depending on what sort of temperature range you're getting. So it is useful if you're wanting to explore hot composting to get yourself a proper compost thermometer, which I must admit the compost queen herself doesn't have one. I use a unneed <laughs> thermometer. <laughs> so my partner's always like... Well, as long as you're only recently. using it in the compost. No, no, we, we, use, we use it. We, it does get washed thoroughly, but then we, we use it in the kitchen too. <laughs> Which really annoys Polly, <laughs> um, but it is useful because it, that tell that that's you know it takes away the guesswork. You can you can stick a thermometer in and you can say, mm-hmm. oh okay, it's in its active phase, and then once the um, once it's out of that active mesophilic or thermophilic stage, when you see the temperature starting to get back to the ambient outdoor temperature, you can say, okay, now it's in its curing phase, and that's giving you direct feedback. As a gardener, it's, it's really helpful mm-hmm. having having a thermometer for hot compost. Not mm-hmm. not for cold compost, though. So how do we make it hot? 
Like what's the difference so make, between the cold and the hot? Yes. Cold compost you add to gradually. Hot compost is batch composting. You fill a compost bin or a oh. compost bay in one go. And okay. this is leading us to one of my favourite forms of um, compost, which is bakashi composting. And the way that I make hot compost, um, because you need to have a lot of organic matter to fill a 400-litre bin, um, and actually ideally for hot compost you want to have a 1,000 litres. Uh, so the way that my, my hot composting method, you can I get consistently hot composted 400 litres. But it is hard. It's harder to make hot compost with that volume. The bigger the volume, the hotter the microbial action will be and the more consistent the temperature range will, will stay. Um, so the way that I keep my all of, all of my organic matter is in our household, all of our food waste goes into a Bakashi compost bin. And what that is, it's a form of pre-composting and you have an enclosed bin that you add EM, which stands for effective microorganisms, you have have it in um, a brand form or a spray form. I don't like the sprays. I've reviewed lots of brands of the sprays and they're not very effective in my opinion. So I use the EM brand flakes and I sprinkle small handfuls on top of my food and I leave my food to ferment and I have several of those bins going. So once mm-hmm. I've filled about four or five, I think, yes, now it's time to make a hot compost pile. And I'll do that layering that we've talked about. So I'll put in a layer Mm -hmm. of bakashi, which is nitrogen, and then I'll put in a layer of brown leaves and keep on filling it and turning the whole time. But I'll fill it up. You know, it might take me two hours to fill up a bin, but I'll do it in one go. And I'm adding water. So hot compost Mm -hmm. especially needs a hydration of at least 40 to 60%. So I'm adding in quite a lot of water to do that. Um, and then within 36 hours to generally 24 to 36 hours, your compost will should get to 60 degrees and it should then stay at that temperature for several weeks. Um, but mm. cold compost is slow. You're adding it gradually. The, mm. the level of your cold compost will keep on dropping. So it might take you six months to fill a bin and then you do need to leave it to fully break down, which may then take another six months. Mm. but you have a tip for filling it quickly don't you so do I've I? Been, well you do I've been watching your Instagram and by the time this episode goes out in a week your competition will be over I think but mm. you're you've got a challenge at the moment haven't you and yes. as to how to get your bin filled quicker yes no thank you I do that that shows me with my mummy brain <laughs> um, yes look I'm a huge advocate for anyone that has a compost bin to mm-hmm. Uh, talk to your local community and get their food waste. So I get food waste from a lot of food waste from our local cafes and cafes Mm -hmm. have, uh, they have to pay to get rid of their waste. So if you link in with a cafe that's organised, separates their waste out, which most cafes do, um, as a gardener, that's just like you've got this untapped resource to get all of this incredible food waste that you can Mm -hmm. then add back into your compost bins and feed to your soil. Um, and that's a really useful thing. If you are wanting to try hot compost, you may not make enough organic matter yourself. So talking to neighbours using the Share Waste app, which is a global app, so it um, may not be that. I'm, I'm not sure if it's big in the UK, but it's getting quite big in Australia. Um, and so basically it connects you into your neighbours and you as you can either be a compost host or a compost donor. Um, I've been a member of the Share Waste app for quite a few years now. And it's real. It's so good. Uh, we've made lots of friends with it. Um, and... 
yeah, look, I think that's once you start hot composting, you end up realizing how valuable food waste is. And you're like, oh my God, give it all to me. You know, you just, you want more. <laughs> because one, when you when you open up a compost bin and you see this huge head of steam come up, it's so satisfying. And, <laughs> and then also when you have finished compost, like totally perfectly cured compost within three months, you're like, oh, this is, this is, this is the bomb. You know, I, I want as much food waste as possible because it's, mm-hmm. that, that's, that gives you healthy soil and that gives you healthy, bountiful plants. Um, so connecting into your, to your neighbours and cafes is, is a really, really useful thing to do. So I wanted to also talk about weird things that you can <laughs> add to your compost yeah. bin because I feel like, you know, we've talked about the normal stuff. Yes. But there's, I say weird, but like not really weird stuff, things that people might not necessarily think about. So I'm going to start with one that I saw that I was like, hmm, toenails. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I wish this this wasn't just a podcast and we could everyone could see Sarah's reaction to <laughs> I was not expecting that one. <laughs> I mean, I could go grosser because I definitely saw something that I, I don't even know if I can talk about on the podcast. But um, I, also, the one I wanted to ask about was my, I've got a dog and the bags that I use to collect her poop, yes. they say they're compostable. Yes. Can we, they go in? Yeah, we'll talk about that. So... Let's talk about toenails first. <laughs> so basically any any organic matter that was once mm-hmm. alive can be composted and you might have to find the correct um, form of compost for it, but um, mm. anything that was once alive will, you know, if you think about your toenails, you're, you're sitting outside clipping your toenails into your garden, <laughs> they're going to break down and they will break down in your compost. And actually they have, they have trace minerals which are useful for your soil, um, like hair as well. So... Or your mm-hmm. hair, oh, hair is is yeah, hair hair's a really great thing to add into compost. It takes quite a long time, it takes up to a year to break down, but it ends up your compost is more moisture retentive if you compost hair regularly. Um so you know, we I think that's for me, you know, uh, I am coming from um a perspective of compost being a really powerful form of climate activism and mm-hmm. really encouraging people to rethink waste. And rethink these everyday things, toenails, hair, um, Q-tips. You know, there's, there's so many things that we consume that actually don't have to go into landfill at all. It can be mm-hmm. returned to our soil and it can be returned to our soil to make something hugely valuable. You know, as gardeners, we want to have healthy soil and we've got these resources available that we may as well be feeding our soil. Um, dog poo, so answering that second part of your question can be composted dog and cat poop both can be composted safely if you then don't use your finished compost on your edible garden so if you're wanting to have, have a go of, but, you very know, good point very good point only look it's only if you hot compost it it's basically not cat poo dog poo cat poo is a little bit more tricky because um cat poo can have taxo i'm pronouncing this right taxoplasmosis which is a Really, can be really dangerous for pregnant women. Oh, that's the um, thing that can make um, you go blind, can't it? Like they say, don't let children play with cat poo. Well, <laughs> I mean, maybe. don't, I don't, don't let them anyway. I, I, but it's, look, it's a dangerous um, parasite that can be mm-hmm. cat poo. Um, but it actually will break down in the composting process. But you still you don't want to a- end up adding that into your, um, into your soil around areas where your plants grow. So if you are wanting to have a go of composting dog or cat poo, you can um, 
bakashi composted. So there's special bakashi uh, bins called Enzo Pet compost that sit directly in your soil. You add your dog poo into it and you sprinkle mm-hmm. the AM bran flakes, which is so the, the AM, I should say, has lactic acids, yeast, and fungi. So three particular strains that um, ferment and break down any waste really quickly and safely. So they outcompete any pathogens that may be in the dog poo. So things like um, E. coli, for instance. Um, you can feed your dog poo, Nicole, to your worms. So worms actually. Oh, um, I was coming on to the worms. <laughs> worm, worms love eating pet um, pet poo if they if they haven't been fed a diet of anything else. So if you have started feeding your worms your beautiful potato peelings and your broccoli stems and then you feed them some dog poo, they're going to choose the potato peelings and broccoli stems. <laughs> what? No like, contest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if you just create a, a dog poo worm farm, it, it works really well. But then you need to use those finished castings on your ornamental plants um, only. Mm. And um, So for our cut flower growers, yes, that would work because absolutely. they're not going to eat the flowers. A- absolutely. Absolutely. But don't put it on the um, courgette plants. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's correct. And so also one the the compostable bags that you're that you're picking up your pet uh, your dog poo in, they you need to check. And this is a really important thing because unfortunately companies have realised consumers' needs for um, you know we we're wanting to cr- to buy greener products and we're wanting mm. to get things that actually don't hang around on our planet forever, which we know plastic bags basically do. The issue with compostable bags is many of them are not home compostable. So they're compostable Mm. in industrially compostable facilities, um, but you need to check that. So you need to check that your dog poo bags are home compostable because a home compost bin, even if you're hot composting, is not going to um, replicate the conditions in an industrial composting facility. Mm and because compost is making compost is an aerobic process, unless you are using Bakashi compost, you do want to tumble your dog poo out of those bags because otherwise you're creating this little um, oxygen-free area where the compost mm. microbes are going. If, they, if they're home compostable bags, they will break down eventually, but it will be slower. So if you can tumble it out, chuck the bag in, you know, you don't have to deal with the bag, but have the poo in the bag kind of sitting side by side, not the poo in the bag, because it just will be harder for the compost microbes to break it down. And if you are composting pet poo, that's a form of nitrogen. So even though it looks brown, it's actually a green. So then you have mm. to have to add heaps of carbon to that. So heaps of the brown matter, so brown leaves, for instance. Do many people compost their dog poo? Is that a common? Is that a thing? Yeah, in Australia, it is. Yeah, definitely. Like okay. not heaps of heaps of people don't. Um, mm. You know, there's there's in every part. Lots of people don't still... have dogs, do they? So <laughs> yeah. Mm. Oh look, but I think it's it's. I think people are trying to find any. You know. People who are wanting to think about lowering their own carbon footprint, having a pet, mm. is, pets are not very sustainable. That's the reality. No. You know, there's there's so much waste associated with them. But um, realising that actually their their poo can be great, provides great, great nutrients for your soil when handled correctly. Um, and it means as well you don't have a stinky garbage bin sitting out each week. Mm. You know, your yeah. these compost when when you're doing them right, it won't stink. 
Um, mm. And that's the thing. I think with all forms of compost, your nose really does know. If your compost is stinking, you're doing something mm. wrong. And generally mm. the wrong thing is you haven't added enough carbon and you haven't aerated enough. So it's lacking oxygen and it's lacking carbon-rich materials. Um, so, yeah, definitely lead lead your way with the nose because mm. correct compost shouldn't when – you, when you're composting well, it shouldn't stink. It should smell like a forest floor. It's like it's the most beautiful thing. And actually, if you have a, a, a smell of um, well-made compost, it releases mm-hmm. similar serotonin in your brain to – Lots of other exciting activities. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's really it's definitely a mental health booster in lots of ways. What other weird stuff can we put in there that we wouldn't necessarily think about? Well, if you're Bakashi composting, so that is um, an anaerobic form of compost creating. So you want to squish mm. out as much air as possible. You can really compost any food scrap so when you start composting there's you might have heard lots of rules like you can't compost onions you can't compost citrus well in vakasha compost you can compost everything so cooked food oily food meat dairy smelly cheeses um all of those onions garlic citrus all of that can go in there and the em microbes will ferment it and then you won't have finished compost within a bakashi bin so it's a form of pre-digestion but what what I find really useful being a busy mum of three who my children my children are pretty good eaters, but you know, I've got three kids, five, a five year old, a three year old, an almost two year old. And, you know, we, we create so much food waste with kids that age. And I don't having Bakashi compost is one of my um one of my forms of compost means that I don't have to be stressing about separating stuff. Any food waste, mm. bones, everything just gets chucked into my Bakashi bin. The EM microbes get put in. You need to leave it to ferment for two weeks to one month. And then you end up with a product that's when you open up the lid, you should see beneficial white mould develop on top. So you don't want to see mould of any other colour. Um, and you can then add that into your compost bin or dig a hole and bury it directly in your soil. Um, and it allows you to comp- compost all of those weird different elements safely and quickly because the EM microbes have transformed that food waste. So it doesn't look that different mm. in the in the Bakashi bucket itself. Um, but when you add it into a compost bin, it breaks down super fast and it's actually a compost activator. So when if you're wanting to try hot compost, hot compost and Bakashi compost really do work hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned mould. That was something else I was going to ask about. Mm. Uh, what if... I mean, you probably shouldn't let stuff go mouldy in the fridge, but you know, you reach in and you're like, "Oh, oh yeah, God, people do." That, yeah, that pepper's got fur on it. <laughs> yes. Um, can that that be composted? Very absolutely. Enough? Yeah, yeah, and it should be. You know, that's when compost. So mould is a is a form of decomposition, and you don't want your the organic matter in your compost bin to start becoming mouldy because what that's telling you is it's too wet. But in terms of adding food waste that has mould on it, absolutely do that. But then balance it with dry carbon materials. So those drown, brown fallen leaves, ripped up cardboard, etc. cetera. Um, mould isn't bad for compost. It's just bad for you. So breathing in mould spores um, is something that you need to be careful of as a gardener. Um, but, you know, everyone, not just as a gardener, um, but it's totally fine to add 
moldy food into your compost it's not going to mess it up mm. at all and it's also not going to mess up your bakashi bin so if you're wanting to add small amounts of moldy food that the pathogenic mold will be out competed by the em bakashi compost mm. and then i want to interrogate you about wormy compost what's the name for wormy compost vermin no mm. is there a name oh vermiculture yes yeah yeah oh i knew the name composting. Check me out. Oh, I'm well proud of that. I was halfway there. Um, so what's the process with that? Do you do vermiculture? Yes, I do. I, yeah, look, I think uh, you should try. I, I think I do all forms of compost. I really, I love compost. Mm-hmm. It's, She's a compost me, queen, it's, it's, Sarah. I know, how dare I ask? It's an outrage. My, so I have recently been getting into in-ground com- worm farming. And mm. uh, so I often get sent products to review and um subpod which is an australian brand that is available in the uk sent me out some of their in-ground worm farms um to try out mm-hmm. and i am not paid so in-ground you're digging a hole digging a hole and positioning it in so this is this is entirely my opinion without being biased i really love them and I think for extreme weather in Australia and also extreme cold in the UK, it's Mm. a really useful form of worm composting because it connects this this worm farm to the soil food web and soil acts as insulation. So in Australia, when we have heat waves, all the worms Mm. in a worm farm, freestanding worm farm will will die unless you put ice packs in it and really keep it cool Mm. and, you know, they need a lot of TLC. But in a... um, worm farm that you position in the soil that keeps the temperature range cooler and equally in winter in the uk um the subpod have got amazing videos of people so it doesn't snow where we live but uh people having their snowy snow field gardens and opening up their subpod and their worms wriggling around eating their food scraps happily and they haven't frozen because it's not just worms in the worm farm it's also um compost microbes and compost microbes produce heat and that surrounding soil keeps the ambient temperature warmer in winter as well but you don't have to have that so people in apartments worm farming is a really flexible process you can have a freestanding bin and it it can work beautifully um and it can you can have it indoors as well so worm farms Mm. um when managed correctly once again it should not smell worm farming is like composting a form mm. of aerobic compost so worms need air they need carbon as well so they it's not as the it's what's called the cn the carbon to nitrogen ratio they don't need yep. a stricter amount of carbon but they need to have that that bedding because if you just add in food waste into a worm farm the mm-hmm. the food will end up um it, it off, if you overfeed them, it often can become acidic and worms need a neutral pH. But mm. it, for, cut, for cut flower growers, having a worm farm as a separate thing is really useful because worm having producing worm castings mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's one of the best things to add into your soil because all of the nutrients are totally bioavailable to plants. Um, oh. And you don't need much. You can just have a little sprinkle on the soil and there's so much life in in the worm worm castings or worm poo fancy mm. word for worm poo um <laughs> uh but yeah we've look, spoken think, a lot about poo <laughs> I, I, I could speak all night about poo <laughs> joy uh but so yeah look, with the with the worm um i i want to call it a worm hotel 
Are you removing the, the worms from the worm hotel and putting them into the ground like you would mm. do with compost? Like, what is the process for that? Yes, well, you shouldn't be doing that for composting. So that, that's a process that you shouldn't do. So compost worms and earthworms are two different things. So mm. there's three main breeds of composting worms. So there's European night crawlers, tiger worms, and red red wrigglers. And then there's earthworms. And earthworms are generally larger. They're visibly segmented. They burrow deeper mm-hmm. in the ground. They're not surface feeders like composting worms are. So mm-hmm. uh, both of these worms live naturally in um, in our soils. Um, and there's also there's, there's lots of different worms. There's worms native to um, countries. And then there's invasive worms as well. So you have to be careful with where you're sourcing your worms from because you don't want to end up with any invasive worms. Oh, I need worms. to add worms to the worm hotel first. They're not just yes. going to come and check in. <laughs> well, look, if you're de- if you're having a in ground, <laughs> they they will look. It's in- they composting worms live in the surface of your soil. So they, if you're thinking about um, scraping away leaf litter under a tree, the worms that you see on the surface will be composting worms. The worms that you see deeper down in the soil that are bigger are earthworms. And if you put mm. earthworms into a compost bin, they're not going to thrive. Whereas if you put some of those surface composting worms into a worm farm or a compost bin, they will. Um, mm. But when you're starting off a worm farm, it's a great idea to ask a friend at a, an allotment or, um, or or purchase from a garden centre compost worms to add into it. And you could also, mm. if you want to do it a bit more inexpensively, you can buy you can simply just buy um, compost worm eggs. So they take, oh, wow. it's a little bit slower to populate the bin, but they... Sarah's face <laughs> again. Worm eggs. That <laughs> sounds beautiful. like they the title of a horror like movie. Little, no, they look like little baby lemons. They're kind of yellowy in colour. They're oh. kind of lemon shaped. They're cute. Oh. They're not gross. You've sold that <laughs> um, to me you, actually. You I'll add take those that. in. Um, and it, so sub pods are reasonably expensive and you can actually make your own DIY in ground worm farm for free and it's on my Instagram I'll show you how to do it um you can ask cafe so once again connecting into this collective community Mm -hmm. um uh yeah connecting to your to your local communities Mm. is really useful because at our local cafe every week they get one or two big 20 litre plastic food grade buckets that their mayonnaise comes in and they're really really they're really useful they've got a big metal handle they've got a nice solid lid um if you can get your hands on one of those for free all you need to do is drill lots of holes all over the base Mm. and all over the sides not the lid you need to keep the lid intact and bury that in the ground put the worm bedding in so dry fallen leaves coconut coir ripped up newspaper then you add in your worms, so a handful of worms from a friend or the worms that you've purchased. Leave them for a couple of days. You can add a small amount of food waste in there as well, so maybe a banana peel um, to get them started. Leave them in to climatise and then you can start feeding them regularly in that bucket. And being connected to a um, raised garden bed or directly in your soil, the worms will migrate in and out of the bin. And so at certain times, if you haven't fed them very much, they're going to go out and find some more food. Once you do feed them and get the conditions back on track, they're going to come back in. Um, Mm. And so for a a lazy or busy composter 
or, or gardener or someone who, you know, isn't being able to get to their allotment throughout the week. Maybe they only come on the weekend. Having an in-ground worm farm is awesome, especially if you can make it for free. And if you're going to do that, can you mm. take the castings out or is it just a system that lives in the ground and you don't touch it, you just put food in? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, both. The worms will migrate out and poo mm. out in your garden, which is great. We want them to be spreading their um, their mm. castings wherever they go. So they will do that. But then you will find with your with, um, all in-ground worm farms, eventually you'll get to the point that there's so much castings in, in your bucket or in your sub pod that you do need to empty them. Um, mm. And the way that you do that is you start – so open up your bucket on a bright sunny day because worms don't like the sun and they if you leave it open for a couple of minutes they're going to travel they're going to wriggle down further into their castings away from the sunlight and you're going to mound up their poo so wait a couple of minutes create a little mountain of worm poo and the worms Mm -hmm. will wriggle down deeper in the castings and then you can scoop the poo so you can scoop that out and then you're going to repeat Mm -hmm. that process so mound up the poo wait a couple of minutes they're going to wriggle down scoop that out and you'll repeat doing that until all that's left in your bucket is a small amount of castings and 90% of the worms. That's an easy way of doing it without removing the bucket. So you can remove the bucket, pour it out onto a tarp um, in sunlight and the worms will wriggle down to the bottom of the tarp and then you can scoop up Mm. the top. So there's a couple of different ways to harvest it and you will need to do that every now and again because your bucket will just fill up otherwise. Because as someone who may or may not be moving to somewhere with a small garden, that sounds like a good option. Dig a little bit. It's a great option, and it's a for people that live um, in our old house. So we had we had one of the our DIY um, bins, and what we did was instead of so we had a tiny tiny apartment, um, sorry, Mm. a tiny terrace with with a courtyard that basically had no access to the earth. So I put one of these similar sort of buckets inside a large pot. And I surrounded outside of the pot with healthy garden soil and put my worm farm inside it. So you, you doesn't have to be, you, you, you can position that, you know, if you lived in an apartment, you can mm. position that out on your balcony um, or in a common area next to mm. the garbage bins. You know, you can sneak a, sneak a spot where you make that. Um, yeah, it's really useful for small garden and house dwellers. So the point of this is to get the castings into the garden, not to take all the worms out. We're leaving the worms there. Yes, but but people get really stressed about this and they're like, they get super attached to their worms. And then <laughs> I, I mean, I can feel it happening already and I don't even have the worms. Guests in your hotel. <laughs> uh, Simon in room 12. A hotel says it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, look, I'm attached to my worm. Simon the worm. Is that what you just called him? So many different mm-hmm. worm farms. I've learnt to to make peace with the fact that each time you harvest them, you are also going to harvest some worms and you're definitely going to harvest worm eggs. And the great thing about having an in-ground worm farm is when you feed the castings and the castings might have some worms and worm eggs back into the soil, you know, they can then mm. travel back. And they, so these these compost worms, even though we're calling them compost worms, they live in the, on the surface of our soil anyway. They live under mm-hmm. organic matter. Um, and But, yeah, the point, the point is, Nicole, not to be putting heaps of the worm. Like you're wanting to always retain okay. your worm population um, so that you can restart that bin again without having to go and buy, buy worms each time. 
And I feel like we are broaching like a Spanish inquisition here. So I'm just going to try not to question you anymore. But if in theory, I was going to start a worm hotel, um, do you have to do the feeding of the brown and the green? Is it like 50-50? Or can you throw them all your banana peels? and uh, you, can, you can feed them more food waste. Um, mm-hmm. you, you should absolutely be feeding them carbon. But it's it's more flexible than compost. You mm-hmm. you can feed them more more food waste than uh, you ca- you don't have to stress about the well you don't have to stress about the CN ratio in any forms of compost. But mm-hmm. with worm farms, you yes you do need to feed them carbon, and you should feed them mm-hmm. carbon every time you feed them your food waste. You will okay. if you don't, you'll end up having a worm farm that stinks and will attract vinegar flies and the worms won't won't thrive so yes you do need mm. to feed them carbon but you don't have to be totally religious and stressed about how much carbon you're adding in mm. but you could just chuck in like a ripped up newspaper right yeah look newspaper is is it is i composted a lot of newspaper but um to get it a little bit scientific newspaper is very high in um lingon which is a form of like plant cellulose and the way that they make newspapers, they act, it, this this particular resistant um, form of plant cellulose takes a long time to break down. So okay. you can, it's I I use newspaper in all of my composting systems, but you have to be prepared that it does take a bit longer. And and if if you can imagine with a worm farm, Nicole, if you added in a whole wad of newspaper on top of a worm farm, you're going to basically create a seal. So oxygen yes. then can't penetrate it and worm farming and composting are I mean I'd say it again because I it's so important oxygen is is one of the major ingredients of compost and worm farming they're aerobic you have to think of it as a living thing because now now we're talking I feel like normal compost and the worm compost they're both living things so it's easier to think about the worm one as a living thing because there's animals in there but with compost, so you can make amazing compost without worms, but it is mm. a living thing as well because it's full of compost microbes. And yes, mm. we can't; they're not visible to the naked eye, but there's so much life in a cold mm. and and hot compost bin. Um, so all mm. forms of life need oxygen and water to survive. And, wow. and one last worm question: Why <laughs> would we have? Why would we have a worm? composting system as well as a normal composting system what is the benefit of a worm one so with my hot compost i 90 percent of the process doesn't involve worms it just involves compost microbes and during the curing phase worms will migrate in and then i will get some of their castings um, dropped in my compost but if you're wanting to create healthy soil that's full of life, adding in lots of castings from a worm composting system um, will allow you to do that because your your in-ground bin or your freestanding worm hotel, what you're going to be processing out of that is worm castings, not compost, which is amazing. Yeah, and worm castings really, like they're, when we're talking about things that are garden gold, they are worth their weight in gold. So all of the the food has been processed in the um, worm's gut and secreted out of them. And it's the... (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, I'm putting faces over here. I need to stop. I love saving them. Um, I won't say secrete again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
the yeah look worm castings are amazing for the soil and you know they yeah. worms are in healthy soil that you will find mm-hmm. worms but just being able as a gardener being able to um feed castings directly in mm. especially before a growing season you're going to have a head start over all of your neighbors yeah I never mm. thought I was going to find compost this actual fascinating. Yeah, it I'm, is fascinating. I told you at the start of this, oh, it's like a 45-minute episode and here we are coming up to an hour and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I've got I a few just, more, but we shall. another hour talking mm-hmm. about compost. Yeah. You can Who have am that. I? Who am I? <laughs> um, I think it's time for the question. Um, and we ask this to everyone each week, but if you had one piece of advice for our listeners for the coming season, what would it be other than compost? <laughs> other than make compost um look i think it would be to stop treating uh our soil like dirt you know soil is a living thing mm-hmm. and if you are um a cut flower grower you're always removing nutrients from the soil mm-hmm. so if you're expecting to grow bigger and better flowers every year there has to be mm. um giving back to the soil you know we can't keep on just taking from the soil and expect our flowers and our plants to be um to be great every season because Mm. they won't so you know it's gardening i think teaches you a lot but i think that's thinking about gardening as a form of circular economy so stuff that you take out then has to be returned Mm -hmm. back in and yes you could return it with a commercial compost or with a petroleum-based inorganic fertilizer but there's really a tipping point with that and you know you'd you're by not being in control of what you're adding in you don't know what other contaminants you're giving into your soil mm-hmm. um so rethinking waste i think is a really powerful thing for everyone to be doing but mm-hmm. especially gardeners so there there really is when we're talking about organic waste it's not waste it's so valuable and it should be fed back into your soil i really like that as a whole ethos because most of the people that listen to us are part of the slow flower movement you know Mm. the reason we're growing flowers is because of I mean we haven't really spoken about this but I'm guessing we could do a whole nother episode on it but the um, environmental impact of imported flowers Mm. Um, and people here you know it's becoming a movement to grow your own flowers and sell more local flowers here Mm. I know it's Mm. already quite big in like America Mm. but it's you know that's such a I think if you're if you're growing for that reason then why wouldn't you want to continue that like you just said circular economy by keeping the you know the the chain going and you know you you will be you can be a dirt poor gardener if you don't look after your soil and you might have a couple of good seasons but it's not it's it's not a forever thing if you don't look Mm. after your soil you will you will see your plants uh they'll no longer be bountiful you know you won't be getting an incredible growing season and having having compost rich soil also it 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 does so and there's so many benefits and I don't want to go into it too much further but um it also it holds so much nutrients and it also holds Mm. water so flowers are often very thirsty and if you're Mm. one if you're feeding your your soil regular amounts of compost you you need to water less and you know that's a huge Mm. thing coming into a drier future with climate change so i think compost really it, it doesn't answer everything but i think it, it does hold the secrets to it's so secret. many things 
Yeah. <laughs> the secrets that I'm trying to, you know, make sure people, there's, there's, there's I have, I'm an open book, you know, there, there, everyone, everyone should have these skills because it's not hard mm-hmm. and it's super rewarding and really, you know, it really is, it's a fun thing mm-hmm. to make and it feels amazing the first time you nail a compost pile and you're like, oh my gosh, look at this amazing stuff. <sighs> yeah. Um, it's, you, yeah, you won't ever go back to buying shop board once you, once you have that mm-hmm. feeling. Um, and I, in my um, notes here, I wrote myself a pun that I feel like I, I have to now say, <laughs> which was, we've only touched the surface of, of great compost. <laughs> I was like, I'm proud, so proud of myself with that That's one. Um, but we have. <laughs> <laughs> we've only touched the surface. I think there's so much more we could talk about. But if the listeners want to know more about compost, obviously you've got an amazing Instagram account, which is just full of information full um and they can find you at compostable.kate That's did i get correct. that right yes and i'm also um i one of the, the other things my three children and my um, many compost bins keep me busy but i'm also writing a compost book that will be released in the uk next year so Yay! um yeah i was hoping you'd mention that yes yeah <laughs> it's it feels a bit surreal but i am I'm in the thick of writing it um, and it will be released Ooh. in the middle of next year. So, and it's, I, I actually it's, cannot wait to have a book on dirt. <laughs> <laughs> it, the, the point of it is to, because to, I'm I'm really, like, you know, we've talked over an hour about compost. About, as you said, we, I could talk another three hours about it. It's, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it is an empowering and an exciting thing to make. Um, and mm-hmm. my book will be, making it really accessible because, you know, sometimes when you get started, you end up having more questions than answers. And I want to make sure my, it's, it's, it's going to, it's going to have soil science in it, but it's going to be really accessible and fun because compost mm. is fun. Um, so yes, next year it will be released, but I still am writing it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with finishing that off. But I know it's going to be, if it's any reflection of your Instagram, I think, you know, you do like bust a lot of the myths in there and it's really like you just said it's accessible and it makes it a lot less less scary yes although it should come with a warning that there is some gross stuff in there too that fermented <laughs> yeah well we haven't even was... started talking about um black soldier fly larvae yet which well i did hey we're trying to keep it um... we're trying to keep it appealing you know we're trying to keep yeah, it like yeah. I don't think about the marketing in my notes. Yeah, um, yeah. But let, the amount let... we spoke about poo, I thought I'd just leave maggots. <laughs> even <another> sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's but I'm wise. guessing they will feature in the book. Oh, absolutely. They're they're one of my. They're you know I talk about being a worm parent. You can totally be a black soldier fly larvae maggot parent as well. <laughs> <laughs> that does not uh, sound thank as you, but no they're thank amazing. you. It's, they're probably in the UK. I, I, they're much more of a tropical insect, but they're they're amazing. And actually, they're going to be part of the, a future form of compost because they can process so much more food waste than worms, and they do it safely. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're incredible. Anyway, for another time. <laughs> yeah, another day. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today, Kate. My I... pleasure. I don't know how, how we got over an hour of compost, but I I really feel like we could go on for another <laughs> another hour at least. But we will leave it there. And thank um, you for having me. Yeah, it's been great chatting to you. Yeah, it's been really lovely. Thank you for the opportunity. It's my poor partner. 
um, can have an, an hour off talking about compost this week. <laughs> I've been able you to are welcome. You guys. It's outro time. Thank you so much for listening and for your support. We are loving this season so far. And we hope you are too. If you love the episode as much as we love doing it, then we would be so grateful if you left us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also subscribe and you can find us on Instagram for more of our adventures at Let's Grow Girls Podcast. We're really grateful having you here listening to all of our interviews with our amazing guests and we hope that you carry on enjoying the rest of the season. See you next week. Bye. Bye. You sounded really far away when you said that. Were you sat back? Yeah, because I didn't want to shout at our people, you know. (laughs)